Welcome to ESA Explores, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. You're listening to our Beyond series. In this series, we take you behind the scenes of ESA astronaut Luca Parmitano's second mission to the International Space Station. I'm Ali Kohler. And I'm Stephen Ennis. Let's go beyond. Today, we're tackling the topic of fitness in space. In the confines of the International Space Station, there's no such thing as a quick run around the block. However, aside from eating and sleeping, exercise is actually the activity astronauts spend the most time on in orbit. Much of that is because when you're floating around the space station, you're not using your postural muscles to work against gravity in the same way that we do on Earth. It's a case of, if you don't use it, you lose it. And if you don't want to return to Earth more jellyfish than astronaut, you definitely need to use it. Working out in orbit helps counter bone deterioration, it keeps astronauts' muscles and cardiovascular systems healthy, and ensures they have the strength to perform spacewalks and carry out emergency procedures during landing if required. It also enables them to readapt to Earth's gravity more quickly after landing. Fitness is super important now, but it will become even more important during longer duration missions to the Moon and Mars. This is an area researchers and exercise specialists are looking into as Europe prepares to take the next steps into space beyond low Earth orbit. It may be obvious that exercise is important, but to perform at your best, you need the right fuel. That's why in this episode, we're going to take a look at how astronauts, like Luca, work with experts on the ground to monitor their intake and achieve the optimal diet for space. With so much to cover, I think it might be time to introduce our first guest. Nora Peterson is the exercise team lead at ESA. We asked her to tell us a little bit more about keeping fit in space. Today we have Nora. So Nora, your role at ESA is exercise team lead. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that means and what you do? So as the most experienced um, team member, my, my main role is basically to ensure that we constantly develop our methods in line with the main um, goals and objectives and also to be a pathfinder a little bit and a shield at the same time for the people working with me in order to provide an optimal physical exercise support to the ESA astronauts. Okay, so that's the objective then at the end of the day is to make sure that the astronauts are well supported in terms of the exercise. And is that both on the ground and while they're in space? It is basically throughout, even though let's say the main and most uh, interesting part is most likely on the space station. However, in order to prepare a good training on the space station, you need to also include the pre-flight preparation on the ground and also a post-flight reconditioning. So I understand that astronauts do a lot of exercise. I've heard that it's two and a half hours a day on the space station. Is that right? Two and a half hours per day are scheduled on the space station. It includes also some set off time and uh, switching between exercises. So the netto training time is a bit less than that. But indeed, it uh, requires a lot of time at this point because we don't have other means to protect uh, bone strength and muscle mass in this quantity as exercise can do. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you'll be working towards? Is that a long-term goal to shorten the amount of exercise that astronauts will need to do? I think we still have to find out if exercise time can be shortened. So at the moment, we are still in the situation where we need to optimize the training uh, overall, which also includes the training equipment. So it's a joint process, which we are since many years trying to bring forward together with science. And this is something we still have to work on also in the future. Cool. So exercise is, is pretty important. What would happen if an astronaut decided to skip the gym, as you might do here on Earth? Usually astronauts don't skip the exercise training on board the space station no, because they very quickly feel the effects this has on deconditioning. And uh, also on the long run, this would result in considerable deconditioning effects. However, I have never experienced that astronauts have voluntarily skipped that. It was rather the fact that they had to skip it for other reasons, like technical failures or other schedule constraints. 
but not because they were not interested in exercising. Mm -hmm. And I think Luke is probably pretty interested in exercising. <laughs> He's a hard worker, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Can you have the opposite problem? Do you ever deal with over-exercise and how do you monitor astronauts? Well, over-exercising in terms of time is difficult because they are really busy on the space station. So they can definitely not spend too much time on, on exercise. And uh, microgravity is a very strong um, stimulus to, to lose fitness. So in this case, it would really need a lot to over-exercise from that sense. But definitely we are interested in avoiding that inadequate loads are used. So it's very important to stay on track with that. So how do you go about developing a fitness program for an astronaut? Do you tailor it to each individually? Are there different phases throughout a mission? How does it work? Yeah, so the training of the astronauts is definitely a very individual process. And additionally to that, our astronauts are, by the nature of the job, not extremely often together with us in, in a training condition. So therefore, we had to develop different concepts of supporting, for example, remotely. Also, when they're on the space station, we don't see them for half a year but still have to work out with them on a daily basis, um, a training program. So one of our strategies that we applied in this was to educate the astronauts about um, what efficient and safe exercise would be like. So they can implement this also quite autonomously, specifically on Earth. Whereas in flight, of course, we have to develop the protocols, but they also have very good knowledge about how to exercise safely. It's kind of a collaboration that we have between the astronauts and ourselves. And as a kind of add-on question there, with the second mission, so Luca would have been up there exercising before, have things changed since the last time he was there in terms of the exercises he'll be doing or equipment he'll be using, or is it much the same? Comparing Luca's first and last mission, there has not been a major change. However, there have been major changes compared to the first ESA missions we had in the beginning of 2006, because since then we have seen a lot of hardware changes. And obviously, and we see that also now more and more in the data, is that the quality and the capability of the hardware changes really also physiological effects and are much better now the newer devices able to compensate and to preserve, for example, bone strength. They have a treadmill or they have two treadmills, a Russian and American one. They have two bicycles or cycle ergometers, also Russian and American. And then they have some smaller equipment and then they have the ARED. So what are the differences then between the Russian equipment and the American? Well, from the functionality, there are some differences, of course, but the larger difference is still between the devices on the space station and the current devices on ground. Mm -hmm. Because definitely you have, when you're running on a treadmill in space, you need to kind of fix the astronaut on the surface. Otherwise, it would fly away after the first step. Yeah, so not so effective. <laughs> not very efficient at all and not effective. So you need to make sure the astronaut is pulled down with a harness and the pull-down system to the surface. And this is also a way of controlling the load. So it's another additional mean that we can use in space to control or to influence the training intensity, whereas here on the ground, the gravity is uh, gravity. For example, for the cycle ergometer, you don't need a saddle in space, but you need a way to fix somehow the crew member as well on the devices. Right. Okay. So they, they have tethers and, and ties and all that sort of thing. So how do you prepare astronauts to deal with these different looking training devices when they're on Earth? Astronauts uh, on the ground need to prepare for, uh, for the training on these specific devices. So there are flight-like uh, countermeasure hardware exercise devices at JEC at NASA. So they have these devices. So we focus mainly on the nominal physical training. Sometimes we also are with them uh, on the training of the hardware devices. But given the distance between the two of us in terms of JEC and here, we cannot be always with them. So the local trainers take care of educating and training the crew on these specific uh, hardwares to the maximum possible extent. 
There's one thing that I cannot be training for on ground. This is the vibration isolation system. The fact that the hardware is uh, kind of in a suspension situation, so it's not really hard mounted to the space station. It means it moves. Mm -hmm. The astronauts need to get used to this very specific feeling on a moving exercise device at the beginning. And that is why we have at the beginning of the mission, we keep uh, the loads a bit lower so they have enough time to get um, used to the specific feeling and to develop a very good solid technique before we ramp up the loads. And that vibration isolation is so that them running on the treadmill or cycling on the bike or whatever it is that they're doing doesn't disturb experiments or operations or other things happening? Right, exactly that. And also to protect the structure of the space station. So is there a need for astronauts to take it a bit easy in those first few weeks as they adapt to life in space? Yes, at the beginning, they should take it a bit easier in order to give them enough time to really develop a proper technique. However, specifically when you are a second flyer, this goes really fast. Probably not a matter of weeks, but a matter of a few days. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about equipment on Earth that they use to train for the equipment in space. Now, I've seen something downstairs in the gym called an anti-gravity treadmill. So how do you use that? This treadmill is nice to use post-flight when they quickly when they come back okay. after the mission because it... Uh, takes away a little bit of the load while running. So it's a nice tool to readapt to running in gravity by partially adding the load in a controlled way. However, the readaptation of the astronauts is fairly quickly and this is not something which is needed for a long period of time. They will soon be able to run normally. Right. And what happens in the days once they return to Earth in terms of that readaptation? The return is followed by a three weeks intense phase of reconditioning where we work on a daily basis with the astronauts and uh, mainly support and trigger the readaptation to gravity. Mm -hmm. And I think seeing Alexander last year, after just a short time being back on Earth, he seemed to be doing pretty well. So it seems that these countermeasure and exercise programs have a good effect. Yes, they definitely have uh, improved a lot. So it's by knowledge and experience and also by the hardware that has been uh, developed in the last couple of years. Definitely made a difference, but also the way how the astronauts approach the training as a whole and how they work out on, on station. And exercise isn't just for the body, it's for the mind. And I can imagine when you're in isolation like the space station, it would be just as important for that up there as well. Have you found that? Well, from a personal experience, uh, definitely, yes, we cannot measure that. So we cannot really make a scientific statement in this direction. But from mm -hmm. the feedback we have from our astronauts, uh, they tell us that they appreciate very much this time they have on their own and for their own body. So we've talked about exercise before the astronauts go up, while they're on station, and then when they return to Earth. What about our next steps? What about when we go to the moon or on these missions beyond low Earth orbit? Yeah, well, the mission requirements will be much different in the future missions. We know already the space vehicle will be most likely be much smaller than what we have today. Mm -hmm. And also the mission requirements and tasks might be different, including mission duration as well. So what we're doing today in the space station will most likely not be possible. So currently there are future exercise devices in development that are smaller in all of all size, but still multifunctional in a way that they can provide multiple exercises and hopefully provide the same level of protection. Mm -hmm. However, this is still something that needs to be evaluated. And currently we are in the phase where these systems are built and tested and the scientific evaluation needs to follow to that as well. However, the awareness for these technologies are already there and plenty of projects are on the way. 
But on the other hand, it's always the problem on the, we are confronted with that a lot of information and knowledge is not there yet. We need to very often also work based on assumptions and then we learn a lot along the way and gain our experience. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk us through fitness for astronauts. It's such an interesting job and we can't wait to hear what happens when we do go to the moon and beyond. Almost two and a half hours of exercise a day. I'm starting to feel kind of lazy. I know, right? Did you know that ESA astronaut Tim Peake also ran the full 42-kilometer distance of the London Marathon on the space station treadmill during his mission in 2016? But that wasn't even the first marathon in space. NASA astronaut Sunita Williams completed the Boston Marathon first in 2007. I feel like you would definitely need the right space food and guidance from the ground to fuel that effort. And our next guest will help us understand some of the technology ESA has in place to support astronaut health from Earth. Beata Fischer is a biomedical engineer based at ESA's Astronaut Center in Cologne, Germany. The technology to support ESA's medical research capabilities is under continual development. One such technology takes the form of an iPad app. It's something Luca is using on station right now to track his nutrition, as well as data from other ongoing experiments. It was first tested by Thomas Pesquet during his Proxima mission. So without further ado, here's our interview with Beata, who will tell us all about the Everywhere application. Beata Fischer. Welcome to East Explorers. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Today, we're doing an episode all about fitness. And in particular, uh, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about this Everywhere application that ESA has. So to start things off, could you tell me about where Everywhere came from and the initial problem it was designed to solve? Okay, Everywhere is a development of the French space agency. And they, some years ago, they came just up with this idea and presented the application. It was, in, in those times, it was meant for scientific purposes. It could track scientific data. Some sensors could be connected and questionnaires could be written. And uh, we thought from our point of view, hey, this is a pretty neat app and it can easily be evolved. So we decided together that we want to use it also for medical purposes. Right. And way back then, uh, when it was first developed, where was it hosted? Was it an iPad app? Yes. From, from the beginning, that was the idea. A lot of our listeners might not know what a biomedical engineer actually does within ESA. So could you give us a quick overview of what a biomedical engineer does? Not easy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, nowadays you can even study biomedical engineering, which is not the same job that we do here. So biomedical engineers basically support uh, the, the crew surgeons of the astronauts in all medical fields that are related with space business and international space station. So, for example, we sit on the control consoles that we have on ground, talk to our international counterparts like NASA, BMEs or Russian ground controllers and coordinate everything that has to do with uh, health and fitness and well-being, psychological well-being, physical well-being of the crew. So one of the descriptions I've heard in the past is that um, a, a common task perhaps might be to look at the amount of exercise an astronaut is getting and make sure that that's actually in their schedule and that their work schedule doesn't disrupt the things they need to do to stay healthy. Is, is this correct? This is correct. And not only for exercise, but we are looking into the whole schedule, like the, the daily business of the astronauts. So we keep track of their workload and try to uh, 
reduce the workload. So, I mean, we want to keep the astronaut healthy. We keep their weekend. We keep their lunch breaks that they have time together with other crew uh, to talk and have uh, some free time. Uh, so that's a lot of our tasks. We we check all the um, environmental data of the ISS, like CO2 levels, for example, which are much higher than on ground. And we check that they are not too high because this is then not very healthy for the crew. Right. So if I understand then the distinction between, let's say, an ESA flight surgeon and an ESA biomedical engineer is that a biomedical engineer won't work directly with crew on their personal medical problems but we'll make sure that the whole, let's say, the whole environment of well-being is, is protected and is sustained so that the astronauts can be healthy. This is correct. And we are coordinating everything with the uh, ground controllers all over the world. So uh, our crew surgeons are not sitting in the uh, control rooms. They don't have time for that. I mean, they need their time to, to uh, talk to the crew and have their private medical conferences. So this is like telemedicine sessions, but everything else that is related with data, getting data, sending up data to ISS and uh, checking data, that's the biomedical engineers that do that. And so this is maybe like a little bit of a side question, but I'm actually now like genuinely curious. This role, it's kind of like a champion for, for the health of the astronauts, the health and fitness of the astronauts uh, here on ground, like an advocate, right? Um, was this role always there in human spaceflight or did it kind of evolve out of a need? Good question, at least as long as I work here. And this is quite some time, <laughs> several years. It was always there. It had been developed uh, on NASA's side. So uh, NASA had their surgeons sitting console and they needed more help with everything that they needed to do. So uh, once in a while they created a back room uh, with technicians that have a medical background. And that was, I think, the origin of getting the biomedical engineers into the game. Right. So it really started with the flight surgeons and then it yes. was seen that this yes. additional kind of ongoing support was required. Yes. Okay. So now that we have kind of a picture of what a biomedical engineer does, how does everywhere fit into your work? Yeah, as said, we, we are dealing together with the surgeons, uh, with the health and well-being of our astronauts. And um, a big area is, for example, nutrition. A big area is checking how is their health status on board. Do they take any medication? If yes, uh, what? And are there any side effects and recommendations from surgeons to the crew? So all this big area is uh, can be tackled by the application. So a pretty big field that can be tackled by a small application. And that's very neat. So it's a bit of a Swiss Army health and fitness tracker. <laughs> so yeah, that's a very, very good comparison. Swiss. I, I never thought about it, but yeah, it, it fits. If you ever need any help rebranding, just let me know. <laughs> okay. I heard that uh, tracking the nutritional aspects can be particularly tricky because you've got different food providers from all around the world. They're getting sent up on different vehicles to the International Space Station. They end up in different places on the International Space Station. And then crew just wants to pull up their iPad and say, I ate tiramisu, for instance. True. So um, there's a database behind. Uh, you can imagine a food database that needs to be fed with information from all international partners because, yes, all international partners provide food to the station. 
And uh, on top of that, the problem is we do not have a kind of inventory tracking system on station for food. There is a lot of tracking systems for all other items on board, but not for food. So on ground, we even do not really know what is on board. We know what had been sent up. And if we are lucky, we know what had been eaten, but we do not know everything that had been eaten. And, and this is a kind of a tricky thing. So once in a while, crew stumbles over a nutritional item that we don't have in our database. But the app is um, so intelligent that they can just take photos and send it down. And then we include this information into the database and update the database. So it's a, yeah, a give and take. So it kind of becomes actually an inventory and asset, it, in, not live inventory and asset, but becomes kind of a record then of, of everything that's been there. Yeah, we, I mean, then we would need to have more information from the crew and the crew is doesn't have time enough yeah. to really work on such a system. So there's a bit of missing data there, but do you know which of the international partners, which food runs out the fastest? Like is the Japanese food like really popular and disappears quickly? <laughs> Uh, I think the bonus food runs out very mm -hmm. quickly. And that's also because it's not much. As you can imagine, bonus food is an on-top food and the crew. So a uh, European crew is um, allowed to take some personal food on board that will be sent up for them. And it's really meant for special purposes like special meals. They invite their crewmates and um, present their bonus food and, and then they have a, a very nice time. So, for instance, um, Alexander Gerst had some uh, Schwäbisch Spätzle that we sent up a French astronaut where we have French food, special French food that you usually don't have on station or an Italian one, Italian food like tiramisu, maybe. I even don't remember. <laughs> I think I, I think I actually saw tiramisu mentioned in the bonus food. Yeah, but I think tiramisu is even regular food, so I, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But maybe the bonus food is much better. Right, so it's it not comes all then from Italy directly. It's, it's not all then just oatmeal that they're having, and then they get one tiramisu a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so as we kind of talked about, everywhere is kind of this Swiss Army app, uh, and I heard that other experiments also use everywhere for, to say, collecting data from crew. Could you give us some examples? Yes, sure. So we have uh, currently for Luca some uh, Italian experiments like Nutris, which is dealing with uh, also tracking the nutritional intake of the astronaut, comparing it with uh, body impedance measurements and the weight of the astronaut. They have a nutritional specialist in the background. They take all this data and uh, formulate a recommendation back to Luca how he could improve his nutritional intake. So that's Nutrist. There's another experiment that's called Acoustic Diagnostics. And Acoustic Diagnostics is using the feature of everywhere. They have included a questionnaire which is filled out by the crew and sent down and uh, they directly get the data. Uh, I think what needs to be mentioned is that everywhere has the feature that the data are encrypted on ground and decrypted uh, on board directly in the app. And this is something that is not existing outside of everywhere on the International Space Station. So that's the important thing for us because European data security protection regulations. I even don't know if I pronounce it correct, but all this 
Jabang is um, really important for us here in Europe. And this application helps us in protecting the private medical data of the crew. So you can imagine uh, prior we had to the time when we had everywhere, it was simply not possible to send up medical data or get down medical data in a complete private way. There was always a possibility that someone, some technician, some ground controller could have a look into the data. So it would maybe come down through White Sands in, in the States, go Correct. through the hands of NASA and then end up in Europe. Correct. But in this case, really, as it goes through that, that say, chain of custody, all the way it's secured right Correct. to the end. Yes. So right between the PI, principal investigator and the crew, or the crew surgeon and the crew, so directly from one person to the other. It's funny how, you know, you start to solve one problem, then it becomes an operational tool and then other experiments jump on board and something that was envisioned, you know, just to, to, to say to track certain aspects of, of nutrition and fitness now becomes a kind of platform, right, for other experiments. Correct. It's a, it's, a, it's a cool way to see how things evolve on, on the space station. So speaking of evolution, what's next for everywhere? What are some of the things you'd like to see change in everywhere? The uh, ground software part of the house can be improved. So uh, for the crew, the interface is pretty nice and easy to handle, but current ground software is not so easy for our crew surgeons. So what we are thinking about is to uh, get a communication line right from the iPhone of the surgeon to the iPad of the crew. That's a big thing that uh, Knees is working on. Another thing is several ideas like, for example, our psychologists are also interested in the app. As you said, it's, it's really a platform and we might include some questionnaires or some nice little tests from psychological point of view. The third big area we are currently tackling is even NASA is interested in our app and uh, we will have first talks with them how we could maybe cooperate in this area, which is also pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It could become a platform for health and fitness for the whole the whole space station, right? Not just Correct. the European crew yeah, members. That would be our goal and, and ho I hope we get there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Beata. I know you're very busy and it's really great to take some time out of your schedule to help explain to us not just about everywhere, but also about sort of the profession of being a biomedical engineer with ESA. So thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, my pleasure. It's, it's fun being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ESA Explores Beyond series. This podcast is brought to you by the European Space Agency. You can learn more about Luca and his Beyond mission at lucaparmitano.isa.int. Tweet your questions or thoughts to at isaspaceflight using the hashtag isaexplores. You can also email us at isaexplores at isa.int. And of course, hit that subscribe button to stay up to date. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.